0: This is Student Activist Hub Radio, a conversation on local and national political issues and events. You can call us at 314 516 8438. That's 516 the U. And now, your hosts, Adam and Kevin.
1: Hello. Uh, this is Student Activist Hub Radio, and I'm your host, Kevin, uh, with my co host, Adam.
2: Hello.
1: Uh, and we are here today. We've got a great show, and we're joined, with, we're joined by uh, Fifi from the Palestinian Solidarity Committee. Hello. Uh, she's a student here at UMSL, and uh, she's joining us. Uh, we're going to just have a discussion for the next hour. We're also going to be joined by Sandra, uh, who's also the Palestinian Solidarity Committee and we're going to talk about some of the work that this organization does and some of the current events that are going on in Palestine right now and sort of why, you know, how, how we can get more engaged and why you should be more engaged for our listeners out there. Uh, Fifi, one thing that I was interested in is sort of how you got involved in the Palestinian Solidarity Committee.
3: Well, first of all, I'm a Palestinian American, born and raised in Chicago, and I moved here a few years ago to St. Louis. Um, at first, it was it was um, basically how I wanted to approach the current situation there, and and how I may be able to help. And a friend of mine that actually attends um, Maryville University had told me about the Palestinian solidarity committee that goes on in st louis and she was just like hey maybe we can join this and see if we can help from there her and i were always interested in helping our people out and sending out the message of her truth and standing ground and just educating people of of the current situation going on there
2: and did you have a background in activism beforehand or have you
3: no i have not um i've i've gone to several um, protests and demonstrations you know, they're peaceful protests mm-hmm. um, in St. Louis area. I've also gone to a, a few of them growing up in Chicago as well and, you know, now that I'm older and I'm able to make my own decisions I've um, it, it's occurred to me going back and forth to Palestine and, and looking at much of these situations there, Just it just comes down to me as, you know, this is this, this is where my ancestors are from. This is this is who I am. I need to do something about this. Mm-hmm. I need to spread the word.
1: Mm-hmm. So, in what type of work does the Palestinian Solidarity Committee do? What type of events do you sort of put on and get involved with?
3: Well, first of all, we do a lot of a um, advance events that um, at universities. Um, a lot of the Members of the Palestinian Solidarity Committee um, are college students. Um, we try and host events that will have um, our local speaker, Anna Balzer, speak at these events. She's a great political activist that we have here in St. Louis who's more than welcome and with open arms to speak to any university. So she's just a great person in general to approach. Um, we also uh, spread knowledge through flyers, uh, just talking to people, approaching people in a in a very um, laid back manner. Um, just just saying, "Hey, I mean, look, this is what we do. Would you like to listen?" And mm-hmm. it, it just really goes from there. I mean, we we have. Um, events outside of universities that uh, include a lot of cultural um, you know just anything that has to do with Middle Eastern culture just we mm-hmm. focus a lot of we focus on a lot of the uh, Palestinian culture so whether it's music, food, um, folklore dancing possible mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah
1: And do you do uh, in terms of those cultural events, do you do sort of, uh, you know, events sort of cross-cultural, or interfaith, you know, between maybe perhaps a Jewish community and, you know, a Palestinian community or the wider Muslim, you know, Arab community?
3: Um, I think we just – we don't do anything religious, but mm-hmm. bi-religious. Yeah. If mm-hmm. any – we don't include religion because Palestinians are – You have your Jewish-Palestinians, your Christian-Palestinians, and your Muslim-Palestinians. So we leave religion out. Hmm. What we've solely focused on is, um, you know, just the Palestinian culture in general.
1: And I guess uh, it looks like our phone's ringing, and our second guest, Sandra, is going to uh, join us in a second. Sandra, can you hear us? Great. Okay, so uh, we're now joined by our second guest, uh, Sandra, Um, and for our listeners who are just tuning in, uh, this is Student Activist Radio, and we're talking today about uh, issues of sort of the Palestinian, uh, uh, the occupation of Palestine. Uh, We're here with Fifi from the uh, Palestinian Solidarity Committee, and we're also just being joined by Sandra, uh, who's also of the Palestinian Solidarity Committee. Uh and um one of the we were just talking uh just sort of talking about the types of things that uh PSC does uh and sort of the activities that are put on. Sandra, uh one thing that I wanted to ask is ask you is basically the same thing that, that we just talked with uh, Fifi about is sort of what brought you into uh activism around this issue and, and what motivated you to get involved.
0: Sure, Kevin. Uh, Well, I was born here in the U.S. I uh, grew up in Florida and uh, had a very average, uh, middle-class childhood, um, very loving, um, protective family. Um, My father um, was born in Palestine, and um, my mother's family, my grandparents on her side, were um, from Palestine as well. I knew about our hometown, I'll just be very honest. We knew um, a lot about where we came from in the West Bank, and we we heard about being from that place. Um, It wasn't until I was uh, in in university that I began to meet other Palestinians and to meet um, other Arabs from other places, and I began to sort of figure out where my place was in this larger um, world. And um, it was... uh, an interest in my heritage that got me to begin uh, studying Arabic, and took me on a study abroad um, stint in Jordan um, in my in a, the summer, I believe, of my junior year. And uh, during that time, you know, I'll, I'll age myself at this point. Um, during that time, uh, Iraq invaded Kuwait, and the the war bell started sounding off, and I was very concerned about what was going to happen to all the friends that I had met in Jordan, um, to my Palestinian family just over the Jordan River. Um, so it was it was that period of time that really got me active, and it was, um, it was getting involved in campus politics during um, the sanctions regime um, in the first Gulf War um, that got me into politics. And Palestine came um, after Iraq for me. And um, I've been working on this issue now for um, more years than I care to admit.
1: <laughs> uh, well, one thing that uh, just to turn back to you, uh, Fifi, one thing that you mentioned is uh, that in our conversations is that you've traveled to Palestine uh, several times, uh, and I just wanted to ask you about your experience, uh, your experiences there. And what did you learn uh, while you were there?
3: Well, first of all, I would have to say I was in complete cultural shock. Um, Everything we learn about our culture here in America is definitely different than learning about our culture there. When I had first arrived in Palestine, just seeing the people and how welcoming they are and just, you know, the smiles on their faces and how much they just embrace their traditions, the culture, the um, you know, their everyday living, just how much, let's just put it this way. They are high on life, very high on life. Um, there's not a day where they pass by and just not thank God to just wake up another day, just being able to wake up, see their friends, their family, their children, if they have any, um, their neighbors, It's just, Oh, it's great to see you. You know, they just, they embrace each other in that matter of, of so much love and, and pure kindness. Um, another thing is, while I was there is um, just everything they do, they, they put a lot of heart into it, whether it's their singing, their dancing, cooking. I mean, cooking is a big deal there. <laughs> Let's not forget about that. The food is great. <laughs> you just make sure you go with a, a size or two, um, you know, bigger clothing than you do wear here. <laughs> um, just they don't take advantage of everything we take advantage of here. Transportation, uh, being able to live with your family, being able to see them every day. Um, education. Not a lot of their children are able to get the education they would love to get as we do here. Um it just anything they do, like I had said, it just they do it with open arms.
1: And one thing you had mentioned is that when you traveled uh to Palestine, you encountered some trouble sort of with the border with the border guards and
3: oh yes. Oh yes. Um, summer of 09, I had traveled to, um, to Jordan first. I actually had to cross the border from Jordan to Palestine because my father cannot go through Israel's Tel Aviv airport because he has a Palestinian passport. Therefore, he has to land in Jordan, then cross the border to go into Palestine that way. Because my father has uh, a Palestinian passport, despite him having an actual American passport, he still goes through trouble just traveling um, to and from Palestine. He was able to go through um, the border from Jordan to Palestine uh, through the Israeli security. Whereas myself, who does not have have a Palestinian passport, um, had a lot more trouble traveling or just crossing the border from Jordan to Palestine, because I I have an American passport. Um, they try and I guess you could say l- scare people away, mm-hmm. kind of push them away from traveling into Palestine. It was just it was not easy. I was held uh, in a in a room to be investigated. Further for about eight hours it wasn't easy um just stuff like that just turns people away and and while i was there i've seen so many families that who that actually live in palestine just travel to jordan to get supplies and go back Fam- mothers with babies who have to sit down for um you know two or three hours before they're able to actually go through it, it just they face a lot of hardships a lot of hard times. So it's it like I said, it's not easy at all.
2: And um, I guess so. That sort of really leads into I think kind of the the heart of the issue as to maybe why um, the PSC exists. Um, one thing we haven't really talked about yet is is why they might not want um, American citizens to be going into Palestine and sort of reporting back on the conditions that they see, right? And and so. Uh Sandra or Fifi, maybe can one of you explain a little bit more about what those conditions are and sort of why um you know why there needs to be a group like PSC to sort of stand up for um the people who are who are living in Palestine.
0: Um I don't know who Yeah, sure. I can I can jump in. Um okay. well I would just comment that Fifi's story at the border is a is a story you will hear from every Palestinian who has traveled home. Um, it's uh, been said that Palestinians are confronted with their identity at borders, um, and that is the case over and over and over again. Um, of course, the um, the issue is not confined to the West Bank and Gaza and the occupation. Um, most Palestinians um, live in exile, and so we have in 1948. Um, when um, the war um, that created israel took place um, millions of palestinians were either uh, forced out or out of fear fled for their lives um, from the war zone and have not been allowed back um, so that group of people um, now have their lives in the balance that those those close to estimates are between 750,000 to a million Palestinians were driven from their homeland at that point, um, and now their descendants, um, numbering in the millions of people, now living many of them living in refugee camps in the neighboring countries. Um, we also have um, the many Palestinians who remained inside Israel, um, who now uh, make up about 20% of Israel's citizenship, who are who face uh, discriminatory policies and laws inside Israel. Um, that, that population was under martial law for the first uh, twenty odd years of israel 's existence. Um, curfews, um, not being allowed to organize, not even being allowed to um, bring in books in arabic um, arabic was um, was seen as a dangerous language um, so these kinds of things all make up um, the what, w- what we see the PSC sees as apartheid like um, policies of the Israeli state. Um, Jews from around the world are allowed to emigrate into Israel while um, Palestinians whose families are from that place. People who were actually born there are denied entry and denied the right to live in their homes. Um, so that is discrimination. People living in uh, in the West Bank and Gaza are under Israeli military law, um, while citizens of Israel are under, you know, civil laws, and then a separate set, set of uh, criteria for um, Arab-Palestinian citizens of Israel versus Jewish citizens of Israel. So these are all kind. these, these all show that um, apartheid exists in, in Israel. Um, apartheid is defined by the UN as discriminatory practices that separate people. Um, it is not only a South African term.
1: And I guess, you know, one thing that has been all on the news a lot is sort of the Arab Spring, as it's called, uh, with a lot of uprisings and activism in Tunisia, starting, I guess, in Tunisia and then spreading to Egypt uh, successfully and then moving to Yemen and Bahrain and, you know, Libya, all over uh, sort of uh you know, all over the Middle East, what's, you know, what's called the Middle East, and in a lot of repressive states, how is that? You know, what, what's sort of how is that translated in on the ground in in Palestine? What's what's going on there? For either Sandra or or Fifi, if you wanted to to jump in.
3: Well, a lot of um, the Palestinians in in Palestine, um, mostly in the West Bank area. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of the division, um, the Palestinian division. They had called them out and uh, questioning their work um, amongst rule of Palestine and just how they're representing the Palestinians there.
1: By uh, division, what do you mean in terms of the, the Palestinian authority?
3: Yeah, the yeah. Palestinian authority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Palestinians there aren't happy with the way they are leading the country and how they are representing the country. They feel like the the authorities there are the ones who are causing more problems, which obviously, uh, when it comes to politics, um, there's no question that you know can be answered as far as what's What's truly going on?
0: I would say as well um, that certainly events in Egypt uh, and Tunisia impacted the Palestinian populace. I know that from tweets that I was receiving and watching that people in Gaza and in Nablus and Ramallah were watching very closely what was happening and vice versa. People in Egypt were referencing the freedom of Palestinians in their struggle, and yesterday we saw Egyptians in Cairo um, taking over the the building where the Israeli embassy had been, and um, and mounting demonstrations in support of Gaza, because Gaza is now under another um, military attack by Israel. So they they definitely inform one another. There is no, um, you know, this is really interesting because someone who has studied um, Arab political movements to see you know, this pan-Arabism resurfacing. You know, some people said, you know, Arab nationalism is long gone, but it's it's back, but it's taking a very different form. Um, It's very much a people's movement, whereas before it was led very much from the top. And so you're seeing a grassroots movement, um, and at the center of that grassroots movement throughout the region, um, Palestine is referenced because it is central, to um, the region as a as a liberation uh, movement um, and part of the reason what the what the PSC has done is to support a grassroots movement we have um, adopted um, solidarity with the Palestinian movement um, for boycott divestment and sanctions against Israel until it complies with international law and we we see this movement as um, productive in that in um, for many ways in that it all one of the main reasons is that it bypasses this political process that is so dysfunctional. It bypasses this peace process that has been um, bankrupt for some time. Um, it bypasses the political elites who have not been uh, representing um, the people on either side um, in any uh, legitimate way. And so um, we, we support that movement as a nonviolent struggle representing the whole of Palestinian society.
1: Well, Sandra, I wanted to get. You said mention a lot of interesting things there, and I wanted to get to to some of them. But I know that you are involved in a event, Universal Beats, and I wanted you to talk about um, sort of uh, a sort of what's going on, uh, your involvement uh, in that, and then sort of, I guess, a controversy with one of the artists that was performing, uh, that was supposed to perform at Universal Beats.
0: Sure. So Universal Beats is um, a hip-hop and rapper and dance um, exchange um, that's happening on the campus of Washu beginning uh, tomorrow. Uh, It's a week-long of events being planned by students at the university um, who have very good intentions. You know, these are all students who have studied um, in the Arab world and are trying to bring um, Middle Eastern perspectives to the campus. Um, We were consulted as as a Palestinian Solidarity Committee, we were consulted um, and asked to support the, or, the events, and we were happy to do so. Um, the controversy came in when we found out about one of the invited speakers. Um, one of the invited speakers uh, was uh, Marvin Casey, um, who is uh, originally from St. Louis, but um, converted to Judaism and immigrated to Israel. Um, the controversy is not that he's Israeli. I'll be very clear. The controversy is in uh, who he represents. Um, the BDS call, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions includes a call to to boycott academic and cultural institutions that are complicit in um, the oppression of the Palestinians. And we we did some investigation of uh, Martin Casey's Marvin Casey's um, background, and uh, learned that his dance troupe, Tribe Thirteen. Is funded by the Jewish Agency for Israel, which is an organization that dates back to pre-pre Israel, to Zionist organization that um, that works to uh, bring um, Jews from around the world into Israel um, and denies um, land use, land sales to Palestinians. Um, so through that affiliation, uh, Marvin Casey, uh, we believed should be. Um, uh, not invited to come to this event, otherwise we would feel that we had to speak out against his participation
1: um, er, now what did did you reach out to case did you talk with Casey at all or what did, did, did what did he have to say about this? what was his
0: explanation um, you know I did not speak with him. I know that the organizers of universal beats did um, really our 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 conclusions were made knowing who funds his organization and how he's being used as part of a official campaign um, by the Israeli foreign ministry to brand Israel in a new light. Um, there is a very concerted effort on the part of the Israeli government to um, provide cultural ambassadors to the West that represent Israel as an open, um, tolerant, liberal society. Um, Marvin Casey is a perfect person to be used in this regard because he's an African-American from St. Louis um, who converted to Judaism and um, has found, you know, a certain amount of uh, success and, you know, uh, recognition for his artistry inside Israel. So, you know, it really doesn't concern me whether Marvin knows that he's being used in this way or what his ideology is. Um, the fact is that he's he is being funded by this... Uh, this organization that perpetuates discrimination.
2: And, and the critique of the Jewish uh, agency isn't just that they try to present um, Israel in a sort of positive light. It's, it's also that they um, sell land, but they're sort of exclusionary about the way that they sell it. Is that is that an accurate um, description? It,
0: right. There is a, There are very strict... Um, procedures inside Israel that prevent Palestinians from buying land. Um, most of the land inside Israel is um, held by the Jewish National Fund, which means that it's held in trust for the Jewish people everywhere. Um, so the, um, the Jewish agency um, upholds those criteria and um, settles people um, not only inside Israel, but inside settlements inside the West Bank.
2: And, and so I have to kind of um, say, so so I come from sort of an academic perspective. And, um, you know, one of the things that's emphasized quite a bit um, is the sort of idea that um, there's this sort of marketplace of ideas. And, um, you know, ideally, if you allow um, every side to sort of present um, their own perspective, um, you know, the best idea should win out. Um, but that there shouldn't be any sort of, you know, preemptive... Um, Blocking of a certain group, uh, you know, and not letting them to, you know, not letting them express their ideas. So, so I guess I just, I'm hoping you can go in a little more about um, this idea of um, what you think is wrong. I mean, so naturally, uh, it's not surprising that Israel is going to try to present itself in a in a in a positive light, just like um, pretty much every country does, but. Do you feel like specifically they're being um, sort of dishonest, or um, you know, can can you say a little bit more about why you think this further step is needed, where of, of sort of criticizing the agency for for what you think is, is a sort of misleading spin on the situation?
0: Well, I can understand your question, Adam. I would say that it's very difficult for people in the West to understand this um, idea that we would be trying to close down dialogue, um, trying to break down uh, conversations. But my response as a Palestinian would be: the first step in promoting dialogue would be to remove Israeli tanks from the gates of Palestinian universities. Uh Um, It would be to allow Palestinian artists to be able to travel, to be able to present their art forms. Um, This is where the the imbalances happen, and that you know to be able to have the Israeli government promote freely its uh, its propaganda and in this country, without allowing Palestinians from that region to be here to represent themselves, is where we run into huge problems.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, you know, just to to bring Fifi uh, back into the conversation, um, you know, you've had experience uh, sort of with the, you know, you talked about directly how difficult it was to travel into uh, Palestine, and Sandra mentioned that, that that sort of a, you know, an identity forming moment, uh, you know, in in you know, in the Palestinian, uh, culture almost at the border, uh, and, and talk, you know, there's been a, it's sort of, I think there's been a de-emphasis almost on, on, on sort of what's going on right now in Palestine. And I remember last year there was a incident with the with the Mavi Marmara, where there was this flotilla device, and I think that was Anna Balzer on that ship. I don't remember. No, I think was she not?
3: No.
2: Hedy, Hedy Epstein from. Hedy St. St. Epstein, had, had yeah. Travel, travel. Okay, uh, yeah. okay. Uh, um, but she wasn't on the the wasn't, boat. Wasn't, so. She mm-hmm. didn't no. go. On. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: but I there were a, a number of American activists who were on this particular boat, and yet it was still was traveling with humanitarian aid and you know. The Israeli uh, government responded very forcefully uh, to uh, this this ship that had this humanitarian aid and was trying to call attention to the plight of the Ga- sort of Gaza in particular, but uh, but the Palestinian people, uh, you know. And, and I just you know was interested in, in sort of what's going on, what what what's happening right now in terms of, of the follow up of that event.
3: On current grounds, yeah. Okay. Well, you have your two sides. You've got the Gaza Strip, and then you've got the West Bank area. The Gaza Strip is the one that's getting really that's getting hit really hard. Um, I don't know if you guys have been following the news in the last week lately
1: with the, with the WikiLeaks or
3: um, no, um, but just uh, Associated Press mm-hmm. just. Uh, any type of associated yeah. press coming out of Jerusalem. Um, the Israeli army had been striking um, a lot of the Gaza grounds in the past week and had left many civilians dead. Um, that includes women who are pregnant, elderly um, men and women, women in general, and a lot of children. Uh, it's... it's Putting a damper on a lot of um, a lot of the civilians there only because A, they're losing their homes. Their homes are demolished. So a lot of these children are waking up next to a uh, corpse that were once their their laughing father, their mother, and, and they have to sleep next to him for a few days because they now don't have a home. Or there are students who are just trying to study for an exam, and, and they like I've been following on Twitter, um, students in Gaza who are trying to study for exams that they have, and they can't focus because they have drones flying over their heads, hmm. it, it as if a a fly buzzing in their ear, um. Or, or men who are trying to feed their families, put food on their tables, cannot get to their job because of just the, the checkpoints. Right. they get turned away. they they get told, go home. Um, a lot of the Israeli uh, security forces, they just how do I um, Sandra, you can take it from here. I mean, it, it just it's really frustrating when I want to come to talk about it because there's just so much that I need to that I need to express. It just I just can't put it in words. It's just a lot of frustration.
0: Yeah, I, I think that if you wanted to know, you know, there are lots of people that are trying to bring attention to the siege of Gaza. Um, it's a humanitarian disaster. It's a political disaster. Um, we're losing a generation of people um, that are confined to n- nothing but uh, bombs and uh, poverty. And it's totally man-made, and we can fix it. Um, you know, Hetty Epstein um, here in St. Louis is planning to be part of the next another flotilla that's planned um, to go out on the anniversary of the attack on the Mavi Mamara. So hopefully by late May, um, we will be um, watching news of Hedi and uh, other activists uh, on their way to Gaza. Twenty-two boats are slated to be part of that. And, um, you know, they'll be from many nationalities. And we know already that uh, the Israeli government is making plans to figure out how to stop these boats. Once again, uh, we don't know how they will do that. Um, we, you know, these folks are just trying to let people in Gaza know that they're not isolated, that there's, there's a world community out here that recognizes that, um, their plight is no different than the plight of the Libyans in need, that their plight is no different than that of the Bahrainis who are struggling, um, you know, we, you, we see in this country, you know, great outpouring of support for um, Arab, the Arab Spring. Um, somehow that doesn't apply to Palestinians. And um, we really have to question how how that story is being presented here in the U.S., in our media. Um, why is it that a Palestinian um, story can't be heard in our media? Why won't these stories be covered? Why? Do you, you two who follow international affairs fairly closely not know that Gaza is being bombed today and that 23 people have died in the last four days? Um, you know, we need to ask ourselves these questions.
2: And uh, I just uh, I wanted to mention quickly, that so Hetty Epstein um, is actually a Holocaust survivor who uh, lives in St. Louis um, and, and has been, you know, just an amazing human rights activist uh, throughout her life, and she's really um, a very prominent activist. Um, proponent of, uh, you know, human rights in, in Palestine, uh, as we expect everywhere, uh, else in the world. Um, I, uh, so, so expanding a little bit on your question, uh, you know, you mentioned, or your point, uh, that you mentioned that the, the U.S. media doesn't do a very good job of, uh, of sort of explaining what's happening in Palestine. Um, what about, um, just our sort of foreign policy in general? Can you, can you explain a little bit to, um, the listeners, um, how the U.S. approaches this issue—is um, Obama, you know, any better than Bush? Or you know, or, or is there? Does it does it seem like there are signs of progress, or um, or does it seem like kind of the same old story?
0: Well, I tell you, I I was in um, I was living in Beirut during the presidential election that brought Obama um, to office. And um, I was one of those people at the American University of Beirut at all these forums talking about the American elections and saying, oh, this is a very hopeful time and the young people have elected Obama and this is a time of change in America and that we should be, you know, looking forward to a new regime. And I was put in my place very quickly by these very young, um, educated Lebanese uh, students who said, who's going to hold, you know, Obama accountable, Um, you know, activists, activists. You know, maybe the young people elected him, but who's going to hold him accountable? Who's going to make sure that he implements the kind of change that they want to see? And I think we're seeing that. I think that it's very obvious that anyone who's in power in the U.S. has to have political leverage, has to have political space to be able to make um, bold decisions and to make big steps. Obama hasn't been afforded any of that on this issue Um, whenever he's tried to step out. He's been uh, slapped back um, by forces in this country. And there's no grassroots movement that's told him um, that it's okay. We've got your back. And I think until we see something like that happening, we will not see um, big change um, coming from the White House on U.S. foreign policy.
2: Interesting. And uh, that's especially interesting to me because I I have a friend who just got back um, from Israel, and he was telling me how— just like everyone he talked to there really disliked Obama and they very much felt like he was doing a poor job. So I, I'm just, it's interesting to me that he doesn't, Obama doesn't seem to be sort of pleasing, um, uh, you know, Israel itself, but, it, you know, also, you know, the people who are, who are activists, uh, don't seem very, very happy with him. So do you, do you have any, do you have any, sense of why Israel might be upset with him, or I'm not, not to sort of say that everyone in Israel is the same, but sort of, you know, the more, why maybe the more conservative members or or maybe even mainstream Israel would be, would be upset with President Obama's policies?
0: Well, what I understand is that there has been some media inside Israel that's really played up the, um, the Muslim connection. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, they they picked up on all the same right wing memes that we're seeing here in this country, and so that plays into it just a bit. Um, At the beginning, Obama did show some, you know, he was making some pretty strong um, statements, asking um, Netanyahu to halt settlement expansion, Um, and that was seen as going too far. So you see how even an issue as um, as simple as you know continuing colonization of occupied lands. you know, asking for that to stop um, as being seen as too much for the Israeli um, electorate. Mm. Um, so there's a long way to go,
2: yeah, that's, certainly. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. And, and they really haven't stopped um, with the settlements, right?
0: Absolutely not. They're expanding um, just about every day at this point. They keep uh, approving more and more housing units um, in East Jerusalem and beyond.
1: Now, I saw on uh, the, I guess, the WikiLeaks cables that came out, uh, some of them came out that had to do with Palestine, and, uh, and according to the cables, the Palestinian Authority uh, offered a, a enormous amount of concessions to the Netanyahu. Well, I, not not to to the sort of Kadima government that was before Netanyahu as well, uh, but uh, the uh, sort of Abbas government offered huge amount of concessions. Um, you know they sort of supported a very symbolic right of return, I guess a symbolic um, gesture towards the right of Palestinians to return to, to Israel itself. Uh, something like maybe a few thousand people may be allowed to come back uh, and sort of huge concessions in terms of the con- Jerusalem and the contiguousness of the Palestinian state. And yet the Israeli government still said, well, they sort of rejected that. This was coming from the WikiLeaks cable. And just on Adam's point on the U.S. media, this story got didn't really seem to get very much coverage. It came out of Al Jazeera. It was on The Nation and the American Prospect. But other than that, you know, it didn't really seem like any of the big U.S. Uh, media powerhouses were covering the story at all. You know, and, and I just thought that. You know, i was, I was pretty sh- and apparently this morning uh there was a, a that i I just read the story this morning. there was another big story about how some of the settlers were willing to a group of sett- a large number of settlers were willing to pay um, or w- were willing to accept uh, money to leave their settlements mm. uh, you know and of course, the Israeli government is sort of promoting this idea that that you know it's it's unacceptable for the settlers to to leave. Mm-hmm. You
0: know, and, and well, i just say, yeah, The those papers that you're referring to um, were refer- were dubbed the Palestine Papers. They weren't yeah. part of the WikiLeaks uh, dump. They were um, papers that were, we're not sure of the source. They came out of um, one of the head Palestinian negotiators' offices, and they were um, leaked to Al Jazeera and The Guardian, okay. but they were separate from the WikiLeaks. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, Fifi or Sandra, can, could you guys say, I mean, it's sort of been implicit in what we're talking about, but... I mean, I just the the whole idea of settlements, I think, is is something that even, you know, even in America where, um, you know, the United States is sort of much more pro-Israel than pretty much any country in the world other than Israel itself. And and when I say pro-Israel, I mean um, sort of pro uh, the policies of Israel that that many of us would say is pretty self-destructive. But um, but. Uh, even in the United States, I think most people um, sort of who know about the issue think that settlements are just sort of quite ridiculous. Can, could you just say a little bit more about, like, what, what the settlements are and, like, where they're building and, and why it's just so, you know, it's just so counter to this notion of human rights that this this kind of thing would be going on? Fifi, I see you.
3: Well, first of all, the settlements are built on uh, Palestinians' land. Mm-hmm. They were stripped of their homes, and their land. Um, anything that their ancestors have ever owned, anything that that once belonged to them, now sits in a settlement that Israel has started building, or or is actually residing in. Um, a lot of these settlements are actually built across uh, refugee camps, where um, Palestinians are are living in tightly dense towns Uh, houses are, are literally two feet away. Just think of being in a very packed room with no air to breathe. That's Mm -hmm. how these refugee camps look like. Mm -hmm. Um, These settlements are actually being built a few miles from huge towns and, and, from my experience of seeing these settlements, they just get closer and closer and closer to any town that you go to. Um, It just, these settlements, they, they're just, they're kind of like a, uh, a, uh, what we would kind of say like a security check. Mm -hmm. They, they watch over Anything all the Palestinians do. Even though uh, the Israelis have their own transportation to get to and, uh, to and from a, uh, a place, the Palestinians cannot take those same transportation uh, paths. Oh, right. But it just, it just uh, you know, the, they just lead to more checkpoints, uh, making it a lot harder for anyone to travel. Uh, just to get to a town that's literally five minutes away, it, it'll take them an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um.
2: Yeah, and, and what, I mean, what, so, I mean, it's just so, it's such a crazy thing to think about, but, I mean, how do, how do they even try to justify um, building, settlements on someone else's land? I mean, what's what's the sort of rationale, or how, how, how is this justified at all?
0: Security. <laughs> security. I mean, it's right. it is the most crazy argument you can imagine, that you move right. uh, civilians into a war zone, and you say that's, you know, it's for your own security. I mean, it's, 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 it boggles the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, what, basically, what you have is settlers act, acting as paramilitary forces um, inside the West Bank. They they carry automated wefo- weapons. They attack children going to school. Um, they run over children in the street. I mean, YouTube is full of these kinds of videos of uh, Palestinians uh, in their orchards, you know, trying to harvest olives, um, being um, harassed and assaulted by, by settlers. Um, you know, this is expansionism, and these people see themselves as, uh, you know, of claiming, you know, they're their God-given land.
1: Now, and there seems to be, at least in the U.S. media, a effort to sort of moderate. That's, you know, the settlements are not really portrayed that way um, in the U.S. media as, you know, sort of this God, you know, God-given right of the, the people who are settling there. And even the, you know, security argument that's made by the Israeli government seems to be moderated in the in the U.S. media discussion, and, you know, Israel is sort of depicted as this uh, country that, you know, really just needs a partner for peace, and and once it has that, then it can stop the settlement building uh, immediately. And, you know, I I wanted to sort of ask you to to talk a little bit about sort of the political situation, you know, in Israel and, and sort of why there is such this sort of aggressive push towards settlements.
0: You know, I don't. I don't think that Israel has any intention of giving up the West Bank. Um, I think that they they see it as part of Israel. Um, I think what you re- referenced the Palestine Papers. Um, you know, even the more moderate uh, Kadima government, quote unquote moderate government, um, rejected an offer that would. Um, Give Israel peace with the Palestinians as long as you know Palestinians were allowed to you know declare a state in the West Bank, parts of East Jerusalem, and Gaza. I mean, this is what we hear that this is the you know settlement that everyone is after. The Palestinian Authority put that on the table and said we're ready. You know, let's sign the papers. And it was the Kadima government that said nope, we can't take that. Um, so we're not really sure <laughs> at this point uh, what they want. Um, this is why. Palestinian civil society um, has abandoned all hope that a negotiated settlement um, can take place. They really are trying to um, strengthen their, their hand in coming to a just um, resolution to this conflict by um, engaging in this nonviolent movement um, for boycott, divestment, and sanctions. It's a way to draw the international community in. It's a way for people's voices who have been marginalized to be included. Um, we don't hear from the refugees in Lebanon, in Jordan, um, in Syria. It's a chance for those people to be included in this uh, process, because for um, you know for Mahmoud Abbas to say that we would accept um, you know just a symbolic right of return, well, it's not really his issue um, to give away. It's not his right to give away. I always advocate that it's um, it's a, it's an individual human right that in times of war, you're allowed to leave your home and you're allowed to return to it. Um, This is international law. This is what, um, you know, the right of return is about. Um, And it applies across the globe. It's not just a Palestinian issue. Um, For some reason, it gets to be um, seen. I mean, when I advocate for Palestinian right of return, um, I'm seen as asking uh, for the annihilation of the state of Israel. If I were asking for... um, the right of Darfuri refugees to return to their homelands—it's it, not seen in the same way. It's seen as, you know, one of the terrible um, consequences of, of war. Um, but somehow, to advocate for people to go home um, is seen as calling for the annihilation of the Israeli people. And I—I I, I reject that framing. Um, it's not for um, a government to negotiate. Um, it's for individuals. Individuals were harmed. It's uh, it's for them to decide. And I'm not saying that every single Palestinian refugee would want to go back. Um, I think that given the choice, most of them would not go back. But I think those that need it, those that have not found citizenship, those that are being persecuted in their, um, their host countries do need the opportunity to find um, a normal life.
1: And I think that's The point that you made about the right of return is ironic because uh, the UN Declaration of Human Rights specifies that, uh, you know, the right of movement between uh, state boundaries is a human right. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, the uh, Soviet Union for many years refused to allow Jewish, uh, their, their Jewish population to leave the Soviet Union and go to Israel. And the United States and Israel uh, and many other countries around the world condemned this vehemently, uh, you know, uh, many times and cited, you know, the right of humans to move freely between uh, boundaries and territories. And today, uh, what you have is Palestinians and many others around the world advocating for the right of return and, you know, the Israeli and, and sort of U.S. government Treating that as a, you know, an act that would end the uh, state of Israel and that would, you know, be dangerous for national security.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that um, given what we've all, we've talked about, you know, how how difficult it is to bring up this issue in the U.S. I do want to congratulate um, the the students at Washington University and the organizers of Universal Beats. For taking a very courageous stand and disinviting this Israeli cultural ambassador um, because of his official role um, in promoting, um, you know, Israeli uh, state discrimination, um, I really know that how difficult that decision was for them, and I I want to applaud them for their courageousness and uh, wish them a lot of success this week with their events.
2: And uh, maybe maybe this would be a good time to talk about some some of the events. So. Um, so that uh, speaker or that uh, artist has been disinvited, but but the event is still going on this week. Is that, uh, is that yes, correct? Yes, as
0: far as I'm I, that's my understanding. Yes, they have a, a full listing of uh, of events on a Facebook page. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then also uh, the I guess at Maryville University uh, there's an event. Did uh, you want to talk about that as well?
3: Yeah. Uh, Anna Botzer, who is the author of the book Witness in Palestine, will be speaking at Maryville University um, from noon to 1.30. So it will be in the Booter Commons um, from 12 to 1.30. And also um, these next two events are actually very important as well. Um, Thursday at 7 p.m. at SLU in the Knights Room slash library, um, we will have uh, Palestinian Americans uh, be speaking about um, their experiences in Palestine. So um, it, it'll be like it'll be you know the voices of occupation, um, and also on a on February fourteenth, which is a Saturday, seven p.m. We will be having a um, an event. It's called the Nekba event. Um, it's the commemoration of uh, the NECBA. So um, which,
1: which is what? Which is uh, what's the Nechba?
3: Well, the Nekbah is basically, um, I, I'm not sure what it really entirely means in English. Sanja can probably help me out here. It's Arabic for? The catastrophe. There we go. <laughs> um, so,
1: and, and that was when the sort of Palestinians were dispersed? Right.
0: From, yes. Okay. yes, May 15, 1948 is the day it's commemorated on. Okay, okay.
3: Right. So those are some events that, uh, everyone's more than welcome to join. Um, it's open to the public, okay. so um, don't hesitate to come.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, and um, if people were uh, looking to get more involved in the Palestinian Solidarity Committee, um, how can they? How can they find you guys? Um, whether Twitter, Facebook, uh, websites, yeah. uh, the whole the whole deal.
0: No, yeah, uh, go ahead.
3: Phoebe. Sorry, via Facebook, um, we are the St. Louis Palestine Solidarity Committee, and via Twitter, we are um, at STL PSC, and also we have a website. It's STL-PSC.org.
1: We've been talking about uh, sort of the issues of Israel and. Palestine and the occupation there, and the role of the Palestinian Solidarity Committee here in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, and sort of the events that 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 they are promoting uh, there. Um, and yes, yeah, so thanks for both of you for coming on.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot. It was uh,
1: really thank interesting.
3: you for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, uh, and uh, so you've been listening to Student Activist Radio, and I'm your host Kevin with my co-host Adam. Uh, and uh, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we will uh, be back next week.